Well, let's get into God's Word. Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Lord. We are living in very challenging, confusing in many ways, difficult times. And there are things we can do and things that are beyond our control. We can pray, we can speak out. But one of the most important things we have the privilege and the right to do is to vote. And so, Father, as this election becomes closer and closer, we come to you, first of all, to pray for the election, but also to pray that you would help us to see and understand what's involved and what's at stake. And we would see today what is our responsibility as Christians. So, Father, where we have preconceived ideas, whatever they may be, help us to be open to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. For, Lord Jesus, when you spoke to the churches in the book of Revelation, you ended each, each instruction, you ended each, each comments by these words, He who has ears to hear, they hear what the Spirit is saying to this church. And so may we hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as believers here at Faith Christian Center. So we ask you, Father, to give us strength, willingness to hear what you want to say to us personally and individually. And I ask you for the grace, as I've already talked to you today, for the grace to speak only, as ever, only your heart and your word. So as best I know how, I surrender to you my ideas. I surrender to you my voice, my mind, my heart, that you may speak through me what you desire to speak. And may each of us have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to grasp what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen Amen. and amen. Well, as you can tell by my prayer, uh, we're going to enter today into where angels fear to tread again. Uh, I don't think I've ever preached on this subject before, taken a whole message. But I just feel this is important enough, not only because of the situation we are in as a nation, because I really believe we are at a critical juncture as a nation, but also that, so that as believers we may have a correct perspective on what God says about this subject, because God does say things to us about what our responsibility is and what we are to do. Um, politics... And religion, if you've ever sat around a Thanksgiving table or a Christmas dinner table or any other family gathering, the two subjects that you learn not to discuss with your other family members are politics and religion. And here today we have them coming together. But if we look at things through God's eyes, through God's perspective, through His Word, I believe the Spirit of God is able to give us clarity and understanding. I'm going to do this in two parts. I'm going to talk to us today about just the foundation of just how to look at this election, how to look at voting as a Christian, because we come from very different backgrounds, very different traditions. I mean, I was raised in a family where, you know, if you asked them, who did you vote for before, they'd ask you, well, which party was it? Because that told you who they voted for. They didn't look at the candidates. They didn't look at the issues. They were just died in the wool Republicans or died in the wool Democrats or whatever they were. So they had closed minds. And we get people because of the media that we are exposed to today, having all kinds of impressions and ideas and emotions tied with this. And so we need to have some clarity of what God says of how we as Christians are to approach this. And so the very first thing we need to talk about is that the place we have to look at to find this is the Bible. 
And so we're going to attempt today, by God's grace, to do that, to look at the Bible. I'm not going to ever tell you who to vote for. And next week, we're going to talk about how do you apply this? What are the issues that are important to God? There are a lot of issues out there that are maybe important, but what are the issues that are important to God? And then how to go about discerning what our response should be to those issues. But that's for next week. In order to do that, we have to lay a foundation here of how we have to look at this election. How do we have to look at voting itself? How do we have to look at this privilege that we have and responsibility that we have in this nation? So here we go. We're going to enter into this subject that's very important. As I said, politics and religion are the... By the way, don't forget, these notes are posted on our website. I go through a lot of effort to put these notes out there, to put them together. I used to preach with no notes, and then I started preaching with notes because we had translators and they needed the scriptures. But as I've gone along further, I've started to put more detailed notes together so that you can look at them and either follow along with them, or you can take look at them later on because the scriptures are in there. If I have quotes, they're put in there. So please take advantage of this. The church we go to when we're in Florida, this is how I saw to do this. I download the notes beforehand so I'm ready to follow through what the pastor teaching and I can mark them up through some apps that I have on my iPad. So that's what we could talk about today. As Christians, how we vote or whether we vote, I'm going to shock you right now, is not a matter of our own choice. I'm going to say that again. Some of this is going to run right up your spine. Some of this is going to cause the hackles on the back of your neck to go straight up. But if that does, don't just tune me out. That may be the Spirit of God exposing something in you that He wants you to be willing to look at. See, we live in a nation, especially this part of the nation that was founded on the principle of freedom of choice. We broke away from the, from the nation of, of Britain because they were not giving us representation, and other, there were other issues, not giving us representation in the government. They were not giving us choices. Instead, decisions were being made for us. So this nation was birthed out of basically a rebellion against England, and I'm not saying that rebellion was wrong, but that spirit of independence is very heavily ingrained in our flesh as human beings, and it's very much ingrained in this culture that's in this part of the nation that we live in. It's in all the, all of the nation, but you can really feel it here when you come from other parts of the country. So when I say something like this, that as Christians, and that's the key, and we'll talk about that today, as Christians... Whether you vote and how you vote is not simply a matter of your own opinion and your own choice. That went over big. My responsibility is not ever to tell you for whom to vote, but it's to give you a biblical frame of reference from which you make your choice. And why do we look to the Bible for the guidance and instruction on these choices? Because when we're looking to do God's will, when we're looking to do, exercise God's wisdom, when we're looking to do God's plan, we cannot get that from our own opinions. We cannot get that from CNN. That's not where it comes from. We can't get that from Fox News. That's not where it comes from. And we can't get that from my opinion and your opinion. 
Because in the kingdom of God, my opinion and your opinion count for... We gave that up when we became Christians. And too many Christians want to hold on to their own independence, their own viewpoint, their own prejudices, their own ideas, and still be in the kingdom of God. And you can not do that. That's going to run right up against our prejudices. It's going to run right up against our pride. But we talk about Jesus as Lord. I made Jesus the Lord of my life. I confess Jesus is Lord. But if He's Lord, He's also Lord over my opinions. He's also Lord over choices that I make. So I can hold on to my independence and I can hold on to my rights to do what I want to do, but I can't hold on to my rights to do what I want to do and still have Him as Lord. Jesus put it this way. We've talked about this a lot over the last few weeks. Matthew seven twenty one. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do the will of my Father. In other words, you call me Lord, Lord, but you do your will. You don't do the will of my Father. I want you to see at the very outset that what's involved here is even more than who wins the election. What's involved here is our relationship with Christ as a church and our relationship with Christ as so-called believers. And in the times we're living in, this is going to get more and more critical. Because where we've come from as a church, as a nation, and by church I mean the church in general, Things have been very loosey-goosey. People can but prosper and get along with still doing our own thing. But we're entering into a phase, and it's begun this year, where things are shifting spiritually. Things are changing. And some of the things that are in the Bible, and maybe many of the things that are in the latter part of the Bible, we're on the beginning of some of those things. And when you get into those periods, you have to be sure you're right. You have to be sure you're in a right place with God. You have to be sure you're under His authority because you get out from underneath His authority and you're exposed to all kinds of things that you can't handle on your own. This is why one of the critical issues in the Bible is our submission to authority. Well, I'm submitted to God's authority, but then are you submitted to His Word? Because His, his authority is expressed through His Word. So at the very outset, why do we look to the Bible to tell us how to respond to these things and what our responsibility is? Because that's the instructions that God has given us. Voting is both a privilege and a responsibility that we have by being citizens of a nation that gives us that right. I want to say that again. Voting is both a privilege and a responsibility that is given to us by the nation of which we are a citizen. Most nations of this world right now do not give that privilege or that right to the citizens of that nation. And so the citizens of that nation are subject to whatever the powers, in be, in the powers that be decide for them. 
and they have no authority and they have no right and no privilege to do anything about it. But we still live in a nation, at least for now, where we have that privilege and we have that responsibility. So I want you to see that where we get that from comes from the government of which we are a citizen. The nation that you belong to determines these privileges and these responsibilities. In this nation, those privileges and responsibilities are determined for us by the Constitution of the United States and the voting laws that have been enacted under that. And so our government, our nation, our Constitution provides that the privilege of voting in this election is given to citizens of this nation. I want you to see, we're walking out very slowly, but we're headed somewhere with this, so just follow me along. I mean, this may be a bare basic, you know, civics from high school. But you, if you are a citizen of this nation, your right and privilege to vote comes because you are a citizen of the United States. If you're not a citizen of the United States, you're welcome to be here, but you do not have the privilege to vote because you are not a citizen of the United States. You become a citizen of the United States by, as I was born into it, or some of you, many of you, have been naturalized. You chose to become a citizen of this nation, which immediately gave to you privileges, and with those privileges come responsibilities. Everybody with me on that? Basic civics. Now let's shift. Now let's shift. I was born, as I said, in the United States. So I was born a citizen of this country. So my right to vote comes from that. But 42 years ago, I gave my life to Christ and received Him as my Lord. And when I did that, I joined another body. I became joined to Him, and I now became a citizen of the kingdom of God. So I'm both a citizen of the United States, and I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And as a citizen of the United States, my responsibilities and privileges come from the laws of this nation. But as a citizen of the kingdom of God, my rights and responsibilities come from the kingdom of God and are dictated by the kingdom of God. As a citizen of the United States, I have the privilege of voting. Listen carefully. As a citizen of the United States, I have the privilege of voting based on my opinion. I don't like this guy. I ain't voting for him. Or I like this guy, or I like him better than this guy, so I'm voting for him. I like this party because they've been good to me, so I'm going to vote for them. I don't like this party because they've never done anything good for me. I'm not voting for them. As a citizen of the United States, I have the absolute right to do that. But as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I do not. And my citizenship of the kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom and an eternal citizen and it overrides, I was going to say Trump's, but that wouldn't be good. It overrides my responsibilities and rights as a citizen of this nation. 
Everybody following me so far? I didn't say I have to like it. Just follow it. As a citizen of God's kingdom, I have the responsibility to vote according to the principles that will advance God's kingdom and support His values and support His purposes. I'm going to say that again. As a citizen of the United States, I can choose to vote based on my own opinions. But as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I have the responsibility to exercise my voting in terms of what will continue to promote and continue to advance and continue to support the values of my king and the purposes of my king. So let's look at some scriptures because I said we were going to go on the basis of scriptures. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. We could look at a number of other things to do this. Peter's been talking about challenges and people that believe in God and don't believe in God and talked about how Christ has been given and to some he's, a, he's the foundation of their life and to other he's a stumbling block over which people fall. But he goes on to talk about us. But you, Faith Christian Center, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. There's so much in here, so let's break it down. But you, as a church, you, as an individual, are a chosen generation. God chose us. You're not here if you're in the kingdom of God because you were so smart, so wise, so clever that you figured all this out. You were here. Whatever you saw, whatever caused your heart to open to Christ was because God chose you and gave you the understanding and revelation so which you could exercise your will. But you would never be here if it were not God choosing you. But God didn't just choose you because He loved you. He chose you for a purpose. And what is that purpose? We're a chosen generation. The word generation here is a Greek word that means um, an ethnic group or a race or a people that have come together with some heritage that they share in common. Now I look out over here and that doesn't look obvious at all because I see people of different colors, different ages, and you look here and say, what is, the dip, what, is the, what is it we all have in common? What is this ethnicity that we have? Well, it's not an ethnicity of our flesh. It's an ethnicity of our spirit. We were all born again out of the Spirit of God. So what we have in common, what binds us together and makes us separate from those that don't, is the Spirit of the living God that is in us. So we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, The priesthood was a group chosen by God to represent Him to the people. They were an intermediary between God and the people. So they represented God in His holiness. They represented God by His words. They represented God in their life to God. So the priests have a responsibility to represent the one they serve out to the people. And we're not just any priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. We are representatives of the King of Kings and of the Lord of Lords. Every day, every moment of your life as a Christian, you are a representative priest of the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom. And we're either representing Him accurately 
over representing the king of another kingdom. We are a holy nation. I want you to see, this is what you're a citizen of. And I'm spending the time to do this because most of us don't ever think in these terms. Well, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I belong to Faith Christian Center. You know, I love God. I read my Bible. I, I'm American. Or I'm not an American. I'm from some other country. Or my heritage is this. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm African. Or I'm from Canada. Or blah, 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 blah. They may all be true. But if you're a Christian, you're a citizen of a holy nation. A holy nation. A holy nation. Holy there doesn't just mean clean living. It means holy His. It means an accurate representation of the king of the kingdom of which we're a citizen. So this nation ought to represent His holiness. And holiness automatically means we're different from the world. We're set apart. When God called Israel out of Egypt, they had just spent over 400 years living among, in a society and culture, living as slaves among the most idolatrous nation that maybe ever existed. We talked about that a year ago. So when God brings them out of there, this is a third and fourth generation, He has to train them that they are not like the Egyptians, they're not like the world, so He has them construct a whole series of sacrifices in worship and things that they can't eat. They're dietary laws. You can't eat this. You can't eat the stuff you used to eat in Egypt. And you can't eat this. And you have to go through these ceremonies. And there may have been some health reasons behind it. But the primary reason to show them, you can't live the way you used to because you now belong to me. You're mine. You're a special people chosen by me. And this nation that you and I are part of is a holy nation, which means we are to represent Him, His values, His purposes, His will. And what is it? You're His own special people. The King James, I think, says peculiar. That doesn't mean weird. That means unique, special, determined. You are, we are special. We are different from the world, our citizenship. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We have been chosen to proclaim something about Him. But that includes His values. That includes His purposes. That includes His will for this nation and the people that are affected by the leadership of this nation. Let's look at something else. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Why are we here? These things I write to you, verse 14, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write these so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house or the kingdom of God. And what is it? Which is the church of the living God. Now let's go to the word church quickly. Verse 15. I am delayed. Okay, which is the church of the... The word church is the Greek word ecclesia, which is two elements to it. The base root of it is kalio, which is a word that means called. Called. The Holy Spirit's in the Greek term for the Holy Spirit is a paraclete. One called alongside you. 
So the church, the first part of the church, is you've been called or chosen. But the beginning of that word is the prefix ek, ek, which means out of. So the word church is a group of people, this is what the Greek word means, called out of something else together for a purpose. Which is the church, a group of people, you and me, called out of the world to be the living of the living God. And this is what I wanted to get to. The pillar and the ground of truth. So we're going to look quickly at those two words. Put Put the image up. This is the Acropolis in Greece. But I wanted to show you what a pillar is because we don't see very many of them anymore. The pillar are those columns that you see. And those columns exist to hold up what was originally the roof and all you can see is kind of the, the framework of the roof right now. <clears throat> the pil- None of the pillars are as big as what they're holding up. But their responsibility is to be in place so that what's put on top of them stays in place. Everybody got that image? Okay. All right. Now go back to the verse. The pillar and the ground, I'll talk about that, of truth. I forget those of you that are online. Welcome. I forgot to mention you this morning. We're talking to you too. The pillar and the ground of truth. The word ground there is a Greek word that means solid, unmovable foundation which provides support, such as the ground on which this build is sitting. So, so uh, Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, this is what the church is. Because when he wrote to Timothy, there were things going on in the world very much like today. There was chaos. The church, the church wasn't doing very well. The people were getting drawn away by all kinds of doctrines and things. And Paul is writing this to encourage Timothy and bring his focus back to why they're there, why the church is there. Because there were a lot of deceptions going on. There were things trying to get into the church as there are today to draw us off track and deceive us as to what's really important and to distract us. And that was going on then. So Paul's bringing Timothy back to a focus of why the church is here. And he's saying the church in this world of confusion, in this world of deception, in this world of lies, the church is the support and the groundwork of truth, God's truth in the world. There's no other support for it. So as Christians... We are here to stand up for as a pillar and to provide a foundation that's solid for the truth. Because we're living in a world where truth, is, as I think it's Isaiah says, is cast down in the street. Truth. In fact, there's a generation raised now where there is no such thing as truth. That's what postmodernism is. I spoke about that several years ago. Truth is whatever I think it is for me. Truth is whatever you think. But, but people that believe that are hypocrites. Because when they go to Starbucks and they get their change, they want the cashier to use the truth of how much money they gave them. 
So I gave you a $20 bill and the cashier says, I don't believe that's a $20 bill. For me, it's only a 10. So I'll give you change from a 10. No, no, no. I gave you a $20 bill. Yeah, but that's what you thought it was. I thought it was a 10. So when we get to the practical things of life, we know they're absolute truths. It's just an excuse. I don't want to go off into this. We'll get distracted by it. So when, when the truth is moving around and changing in our society quickly, the church is the foundation for what is truth in God's eyes that the world needs to see. So we can't be moved by what's going on in the media. We can't even be moved by who's running for office. We can't be moved by the pandemic. We're here to provide a bedrock that people that want to know the truth can come and rest in it. And I believe that's why people in this time, when there's so many other things to do, want to come and hear the truth. Whether I like it or not, I want to know I'm hearing truth. Because I don't believe anything I'm getting on the media, I don't believe, from whatever source, or whatever I'm getting on the internet, I don't know that that's truth. But I know God's Word is truth. Second Corinthians chapter 5. We were in Florida a couple of years ago and in this church that we go to and the pastor was just going through Second Corinthians and he got to this verse which I've preached many times and it hit me at a different level. For the love of Christ constrains me, compels me, The word actually means constraints. It limits me down. It's a word that implies I'm being pressured on every side. When they bring, uh, I used to bring cattle into a cattle drive. Um, and, and, well, I've got to move on. I don't have time to do that. Okay. Because of, we, judge, we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And this is what I wanted to get to, verse 15. For he died for all, that's Jesus, that those who live, so Jesus died for you and he died for me, that those of us who live, that you or me, should no longer live for themselves. For my opinion, what I like and don't like, who I like and don't like. He said, because he died for you and he made alive in him, therefore we should no longer live our lives for our own purposes, for our own opinion for our own will. But for Him who died and rose again. So what are we to do? Therefore, from now on, we no longer regard, uh, we no longer regard according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know Him thou no lo that way no longer. So nobody's saying this. We used to, there was a time when Jesus was on the earth and we could see Him, touch Him, feel Him. But we don't have that kind of relationship with Him anymore. It's a spirit-to-spirit it's a -spirit relationship. We're going to show why that's important in a minute. So we don't know Him that way. Verse 17, this is a famous verse. Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new and all things are of God. So what he's saying there is, once you came to Christ, the change took place in you and now you are no longer who you used to be. And now God's kingdom is in you. God's spirit is in you. That's how we regard one another. That's why I can look out over here and see different colored faces and know, but we're all one because it's the same spirit that's in you that's in me. That's what we have in common. That's what binds us together. And that's a spiritual thing. It's not a carnal, natural, physical, fleshly thing. 
All things are now of God. They're not of me anymore. They're not my rights, my opinion. They're now of God, who has reconciled himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him, but has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's a responsibility we have. Look at verse 20. This is what I want to get to. So now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is someone that's been chosen to represent their nation and is sent over into a foreign country to represent the views, the value, and the agenda of his nation in this foreign country. He doesn't have the right to stand up in the UN and give his speech on his own opinion because he's there on an assignment to represent the nation that sent him there. And we are ambassadors for Christ. Okay. So let's bring this to focus now. How does this perspective apply to voting in this or any other election? I'm going to have to go through these quickly. First thing, whether you vote or you don't vote. Sometimes I've heard this comment, and maybe I've even had it myself, but I never did it. I don't like either candidate, so I'm not going to vote. Well, your vote is an exercise of an authority that's been given to you by God for which you are responsible. So just because you don't like the choice doesn't absolve us of the responsibility to vote. Choosing not to vote is refusing and rejecting a responsibility given to you by God. The second comment I hear here often is, well, especially in this part of the country, my vote really doesn't count. So if you've lived in this part of the country and you're a Republican, that's basically your your leaning. What difference does it make? This is a democratic state. It's almost always democratic. They're going to vote. Or if you're a Democrat, you can say, well, what difference does it make? It's going to go that way anyway. But you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the results, not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to do what God gave you this responsibility for, regardless if you're the only person that voted that way. Then before God, you've done what you need to do. Now I'm going to talk to you about how you decide to do that a little bit at the end of here, but then more next week. Okay. Usually when we say that, it's because it's an excuse because we're lazy or we're indecisive. That's point number one, whether to vote. Number two, as a Christian, I've already covered this, I don't have the right to vote based on personality. And this is what really goes on now. Who I like or who I don't like. You re- First of all, you really don't know that person. I've learned some things about presidents I didn't like about their personal life that made me open my eyes. That person wasn't so bad after all. You don't know that person. So how do we know their character? We don't know that person personally. You've never met them. And even if you met them, you don't really know. So we we like or don't like the person, listen to this, based on images we've been given. If you've never met 
President Trump. If you've never met Joe Biden, you don't really know what they're like. All you know about them is images that are shown on television, images that are shown on the internet. And guess what? Somebody chooses what image to post. Even if they're trying to be objective, they can't help but somehow choose what they're going to show based on what they want you to see. Their words that they speak... Somebody chooses how much of that speech you get to hear. They edit it. And this is true on both sides of the political spectrum. So I can't base my choice on whether I like that person or not because my view of them in all likelihood has been affected by the people that the media, and I'm not getting against the media, but this reality is we don't live in a time when you get to really hear something long. We live in a time of sound bites, quick images. And it's interesting to study how some of those images are shown. Sometimes they'll just show somebody all they're doing is scowling. That presents an image to you. And they're very subtle things. So my only point is, you can't tell by the information we're getting what that person's really like. So voting based on their personality, you're letting somebody else tell you how to vote. This is a trend we've had towards popularity contests. And it started in the 1960 election. I remember, because I was 15 then. And I remember this, and I went back and did some research on this. It changed the whole method of campaigning. Because what happened was it was an it was a, 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 a election between uh, Richard Nixon, and we know a lot more about him now than we did then, but Richard Nixon was then the sitting vice president under Eisenhower, and John F. Kennedy from the, Massachusetts, a young, handsome, vibrant uh, uh, U.S. senator. And they, this, they had the first ever live televised debate. And so nobody knew what the effect of that was going to be. Nixon came into that debate from the hospital. He had been hospitalized with a knee injury. And so he was, had been weakened by that experience. And they offered to, to give them makeup, and both candidates refused it. But Kennedy had his own makeup people make him up. Nixon did not. And what happened, and there's more that went involved in this, what happened was the visual image, regardless of what anybody said, the visual image, because under the lights, what makeup does is it keeps your sweat from showing up. So under the lights, Nixon started sweating, which makes it look like he's nervous. Kennedy didn't sweat. It wasn't what he was sweating. The makeup was there absorbing it. Seventy million people Watch that debate. The polls completely reversed after that. Because of that, Nixon... I'm not saying who was right or wrong. I'm just saying what they learned from that. The polls turned around because Nixon had been ahead. There were two other debates, but only 20 million people watched those debates. The die was already cast. What happened? Campaign people and political people learned something from that. It's not... Who the candidate is, is not what they believe. It's how we package them to the American consumer, which is you and me. 
So I'm saying this to say that we cannot make it based on whether I like or not something. That's a popularity contest and we've been manipulated whether you like the person or not. They can't help but happen. Okay, I've got to move on. Number three, each candidate stands for a series of principles that have been adopted by his party and that's called the party platform. Interesting to read them. Most people don't. Each candidate represents the values and the policies, each platform, excuse me, represents the values and the policies to which its candidate is committed. And the personality contests distract us from the issues. Our responsibility is to measure each of these platforms against God's values and God's purposes that we have a responsibility to represent. Fourth thing, and this is true in every situation, but especially true in an election. Realize this. Everything that's happening in our nation, and especially in this election, has behind it a spiritual battle. It's almost as if you could pull back You know what marionettes are? They're puppets that are on strings and somebody's exercising them. It's almost as if we could stand back and recognize there are spiritual forces, there are demonic forces out there and there are angelic forces influencing what's being said and what's going on because there is a spiritual battle and a spiritual agenda that is unfolding now. It's been unfolding all along, but it's really beginning to pick up according to exactly what the Word of God says is going to happen. And it's important as Christians that we have this perspective. There was a novel written 20 years ago called This Present Danger. Everybody remember that? By Frank Peretti. And I'm not saying it's all true or not, but it told the story of this town and changes that were going on within this town and then it would pull back and it would show you the demons and the angels that were at battle and at war over this and the whole focus of this book was to have us pray because it was the prayers of the saints that turned things around. So recognize as you're looking at the issues, recognize this, these are part of the enactment of a spiritual battle that will either open the door for God to do what He wants to do or open the door for Satan to do what he wants to do. Ephesians 6, 12 says, can you put it up there? For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is going on right now, today. So we need our spiritual eyes opened to understand what's really at stake. This nation is at a crossroads, at a critical juncture that affects more than this nation. It affects souls. It's going to get ahead of myself. It affects whether the church is going to be able to do and say what it's been put here to do. There's so much at stake here. So what do we need to do? We need to pray. We need to pray for God's wisdom. So I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not trying to cast anything one way or the other. I'm just trying to create a perspective by which you can pray through and discern what God's telling you to do. 
pray. James 2.1.5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who will give to all liberally. And then pray for God's will in this election to be done. I started doing that months ago. And I've always been casual about this. So next week, what we're going to begin to look at is we're going to begin to look at, of all the issues that are out there, what are the issues that are important to God, that matter to Him in line with His values, His plans, and His purposes, because it's those things that the church is here to represent. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear... Help us to hear what you're saying to us. We asked you that at the beginning. And now we've seen scriptures, we've heard ideas, and as best I know how. And Father, we're, we're, we're in a very challenging situation where there's so many voices speaking to us through so many different sources. And we all come with our own prejudices, our own ideas, our own upbringing, all things we've heard and things we've done before. We need to hear from you. We need to hear with clarity. And we need to hear with boldness because you've put your church here to be a pillar and a foundation, the ground for your truth in this confusing, challenging, difficult, evil world today. Strengthen us that we may do what you put us here to do. And for that grace, we thank you in Jesus' name. We're ending the service in just a moment.